everybody and welcome to another episode in my podcast series, Did It Anyway. I'm really excited to be meeting with a really good friend of mine uh, today to discuss a different type of challenge, not one that we've discussed before on a podcast, but something that I've experienced personally um, and obviously he has as well. So I'm grateful to be able to share um, his experience and to be able to hear his story. Um, today I'm interviewing um, a man named Robert McFadden, um, who's a really good friend of mine. We met how many years ago now, Rob? Three, four? Yeah, about four years about ago. About four years ago. <clears throat> and uh, uh, I was lucky enough to be able to do some business with Rob um, four years ago after we met <clears throat> and have become really close friends um, since then. But Rob's going to share with us um, some of his experience uh, with some financial challenges that he has had in his life. Like many people listening on this po podcast, um, sometimes when we are challenged financially, we can feel like a bit of a failure or not living up to other people's expectations um, but sometimes things just go go the wrong way and um, I've had that experience in my life where a business didn't go as planned and um, we were uh, in a situation where we had to close that business and and um, and sell our home um, which was a really challenging experience for us but we're certainly not the only ones that have experienced that and and Rob um, has an amazing story to tell um, and I'm really excited to be able to share that with him, um, share that with you guys today. So why don't I just start off and introduce Rob, and you can say who you are, where you're from, because he's got a bit of a different accent to other people that I've interviewed, that's for sure. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to uh, share a bit of experience that through which we gain some knowledge, but at the same time to uh, spend some time with friends that I've grown to respect and to love over the years, so... I certainly throw you into that bucket. Thanks, man. Um, so, like Baron mentioned, my name is Robert McFadden. My wife and I uh, have been married for 23 years. We have six amazing children, and um, you know our our formal education or my formal education. I, I went and got an undergraduate degree in sales and marketing, and then I went and got a master's degree. Um, and my master's degree is an MBA, so it's really how to run and administer a business right so and my uh, focus was in entrepreneurial studies that was kind of really my passion starting and running a business so that's where my formal education comes from so I thought and I'm gonna take this world by storm my wife and I started our family and we started having kids and you know we had a we had a rocky start just trying to understand how money works. I mean, it, your, your parents throw you out into the world and you now all of a sudden have children. And you're like, how do I feed these things? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we started having our family really young. And uh, anyway, so we there came the time where we had finished uh, my undergraduate and we were we had decided that we were going to start a, a building and developing company. Actually, started out, we were just going to build our own home. That's really how it all started. We thought, well, hey, we can we could do this. We could save some money and let's get into our first home and put in some sweat equity. And we thought, yeah, we'll 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 go ahead and go that route. Sounds like a good idea at the time, doesn't it? It's it was a great idea at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, interesting story is uh, I was working to put myself through school when someday when one day somebody walked in and said, hey, I have a suburban. No, I need a suburban. My family's growing and I need a suburban. Uh, uh, just a larger SUV, right? And he says, I have a building lot I'm willing to trade for a Suburban. I'm like, wait a second. So I was working F&I, finance and insurance, for, uh, for a small car dealership, putting myself through school. And I was just getting ready to finish school. And I thought to myself, 
my wife and I just had the conversation the night before. How are we going to buy a house? Like, what are we going to do? We're you know, just finishing school. We have we don't have two nickels to rub together. We've got you know school debt, and we just had no idea. Well, this guy comes rocking up to my place of business out of the blue and says, hey, I have a building lot. I want to trade for a Suburban. So I immediately said, I'm interested, but I want to see the lot. Well, of course, who wouldn't want to see the lot, right? I didn't want some rocky 45 degree angle property that, I mean, who would build on a, who would build on an 11 meter fall? <laughs> oh, hang on. That would be me. <laughs> <laughs> so I went out and looked at this lot and, um, it was gorgeous. It was on the bench. It had an overview of the Valley. And I mean, I just, in my mind, I'm going, this doesn't even make sense. What a blessing, right? That this, I'm, we just had the conversation. So long story short, I was able to, uh, get this guy, um, a suburban title from the auction and I had 90 days to pay for the for the suburban but I had the title on flooring is what it's called it's like a credit line so I gave him the title he deeded me the lot and I used that lot to put down as a down payment to the bank and uh, I think it's hilarious Rob that you swapped a car for a block of land oh like, it was and it was not even close to the right value I mean I got the title of the suburban it was a Suburban was only a couple years old, so the value hadn't dropped a lot. But cars lose so much value so quickly that this suburban I was able to get for seventeen grand, and the lot itself appraised at forty three thousand, untouched, unimproved, anything. Anyway, it was I just it just was a blessing, and I and but I asked him I said hey but I want to build a house and I'm going to need your help, and I'll do this swap for you, but you got to help me kind of figure out the finances of building a lot and what numbers I have to give to the bank and all that stuff. And he's like, oh, sure, no problem. I mean, that guy at, the, at that moment would have given me his firstborn child. He wanted this suburban so bad, right? <laughs> so uh, it ended up that I, uh, he did help me out. And to his credit, he did probably more than he needed to. But um, we, uh, we were able to build a home, and he kind of helped me learn the process of how to go through that and find subs and find the right subs and ask the right questions. And that turned out to be the starting of, of a building career and we uh we really we really appreciated that it was in 2002 and then you started so you, you've built your own house and they've gone on to build some more houses tell us a bit about that well so i mean by the time we finished our house you know that process took six or seven months to build our home and uh we ended up with over a hundred thousand dollars in equity in the home by the time the home was finished it was worth a hundred thousand dollars more than what we paid to to build it and so I thought to myself wow how many hours do I have to work at a car dealership in order to make a hundred thousand dollars now the fact that we wanted to live in this home just gave me the idea that well if I did this again for a home I didn't want to live in so I, I really started a, a process in 2002 where that home was the catalyst really I fell backwards into a building career so I proposed to him that, hey, why don't we do this on a couple other homes? And um, so by the end of that first year, we had built, we had about 12 homes in the process. By the end of year one, um, we had about 12 homes that we had either built or were building or um, were in development. And uh, it, it turned out that my mind really started to work well in this space. And uh, I remember my first development deal I went to a farmer and said, hey, farmer, um, you want to sell this land, I've heard. And he says, yeah, I do. I said, what do you want for it? He goes, I want $100,000 for this four acres. 
And I said, well, I'll give you $100,000. You just got to give me six months to pay you. You deed the land to me, and I'll sign a promissory note to you to pay you $100,000 in six months. That way you don't have to worry about realtor fees or anything, listing it. You don't have to go through the hassle. It's already sold. You just got to give me six months to pay you. And I told him what my plan was, and he said, done. So he quit claimed the property over to me, and I went into the city and said, hey, I have this piece of land. I own it. It's free and clear. I want to develop it out into seven building lots. And I went through the process. It took me about two months, 60 days, to go through the process with the city. The city gave me approval. I went and called a, a subgrade developer to put in the, the stubs. This was on a main road, so all the utilities ran right across the front of the lot. And it turned out that... Um, you know, I was able to improve these lots over the next 60 days, um, and I got 90-day dating on the billing from the developer, from the subcontractor. So he put in all the stubs and improved all the lots, and I still hadn't paid any money for this land. Uh, I had a builder knock on my door and says, hey, I heard you're developing these lots. I see the subgrade going in. I see all these improvements going in. I want to buy five. Oh, I want to buy all of them, is what he said. And... Um, and we negotiated a deal where he gave me 50% down on five lots because I wanted to keep two for myself. He, uh, he gave me 50% down, and I sold these lots at $43,000 at the retail price for these lots. They were just right next door to the house that I had built. And uh, so the money that he gave me, and then I charged him $5,000 a month, just interest only, while I carried him on the balance because he only gave me 50% down. So I ended up, my very first development deal was a no money down deal because I used the money that he gave me to buy the lots. I paid off the farmer and paid a portion of the subgrade stuff and off the sale of the first lot, I paid the balance of the development wow. cost off. So I, so here I am, I'm in year two, right? I'm, I'm really starting to gain steam. I'm going, man, I get this. I love this. This is fun. So I, start, I tried my hand at, uh, at developing commercial stuff and I got into commercial. And so by year three, we had 40 properties, almost 50, it was 48 properties, if I remember correctly. Um, by the end of year three, we had about um, 50 properties that we were either developing, building, had sold, flipped in some type of construction, um, almost 50 different projects. So what year was this now? This is 2005? Yeah, this was 2005. And then... Um, in 2006, I was approached by, I mean, amazing how life changes, but um, I was approached by a gentleman who saw that I was doing a bunch of different real estate deals. And he asked me to just explain what I was doing. And I shared with him and he says, hey, I own a real estate investment firm. I'd like for you to come and teach a class in Las Vegas for me. He says, I'll pay you $1,500 for six hours. Plus, I'll pay all your expenses, first class flights hotel you name it I, I just want you to come down and I want you to present what it is that you're doing and uh, so I went down and I taught what I was doing I didn't know anything but what I was doing right I didn't know any crazy techniques or anything I just taught what I was doing well it turned out that it was a smash hit it was the highest rated class in his four-day workshop was mine and all I did was tell my story and teach them what I was doing well, that parlayed into, hey, I want you to go on the road and I want you to teach this. So here I was now, and he was paying ridiculous money. Like I was making ten dollars to $12,000 a week working for this guy. And at the while I was home, I was still developing and building and making money on that side. So our net worth started to increase. Well, in his workshop, somebody presented to me an idea that, hey, we wanted to do some resort development, development and they wanted me to be the pitch man for it. 
And for that, they would give me 15% ownership in every development that we were doing. Well, what I didn't realize is their development, their idea of a development was not seven lots in Podunk, Utah, along a busy road, right? It was, it was a hundred lots in a Greg Norman golf course. Like wow. it was, it was ridiculous kind of. <laughs> so, but, but by the end of my sixth year, our net worth, my wife's and my net worth, we had done a financial statement um, and our accountant put our net worth at $19 million. And this was, at, and we, we made great money. It was phenomenal. I mean, the kind of cash flow that we had coming in, because every time you'd sell a property, you had 20 grand or 50 grand or 100 grand or 150 grand coming in in these one-time hits. And uh, so here it was, we were clipping along and $19 million in net worth and lots of properties. I think we personally had 54 properties uh, that we held. Um, we had done three commercial developments, a bunch of residential developments. We had built homes for people that are still our friends today. Because when you do business ethically and you do it right, you just maintain your friendships. So so on that, what's interesting is this podcast, I, I talk with regular people who aren't millionaires and who aren't sports stars and, and whatever else. I want you now to tell them. So you, you're rocking it. You're at the top of the tree. You're feeling everything's great. What happened in 2008 in the United States? <laughs> right. Well, it wasn't just the United States. Well, partic- partic- it started in the United States. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, as you can imagine, this fairy tale story. Um, you know, I think it, it ended up having a happy ending in the end, but it it was through great strife and great ca- crossing a great chasm that we ultimately ended up at a at a peaceful place in our lives. But yeah, in two thousand eight, I remember walking into the office one day, and um, someone had made mention that the real estate markets were in trouble. And that um, that there was an inevitable crash that was coming. And six weeks later, the market, well, four weeks later, the market had started the crash. But if you remember that time, uh, the whole crash happened in a period of about three weeks where it, the lenders just shot off lending. They changed all the lending codes. You couldn't even get money. Where before, money was being thrown at you. Here, use my money to build your development. Here, use my money to set up your your and you know your fund and all these I mean, you just money was just coming hand over fist but after the crash it was crickets there was no, in fact we had lenders we had tens of millions of dollars with certain lenders that had lent us money on these major developments and the lenders were going out of business the lenders were filing bankruptcy i mean it's pretty tough to recover when the people that are lending you the money to go out and do a development are rolling up their doors mm-hmm. so in a period of about six weeks, our net worth went from $19 million to negative a million because all of our assets, we were not properly leveraged. We were not savvy in that process. We just were eager and young and we were building a business and we thought money grew on trees and we just really felt like there was nothing that could stop us. And yet the entire financial market in the real estate sector just came to a grinding halt. So what happens? What does that look like? So that's the high-level view of it. What does that look like on a day-to-day basis for Rob and his family, for you and your family? What does that look like in the, uh, at, you know, at the end of that six-week period where it all just crashed and you know you're in strife now? What what does that look like day-to-day? I remember I'm a we're a pretty religious family. I'd say deeply religious family. I remember saying a prayer um asking my heavenly father to how was I going to feed my kids like I did not know where my money was going to come to feed my next 
to feed my children for the next meal, let alone the next month. So dead set, no money. No, all of our we we weren't cash heavy at the time. When when because you think about it, when things start to fall out, you're you're using all of your resources to kind of prop it up because you don't know that it's going to fall as far as it's going to fall. So we'd burned all of our cash into these final payments and not realizing they were final payments, right? We were just, we were good ethical borrowers and we were going to make these right until there was nothing else to make it right on. And so you ended, we ended up um, being in a situation where we had no cash. We had no cash flow. Our assets were gone. Our lenders had filed bankruptcy. We were a million dollars in debt. Personally. Personally. I had no idea where I was going to feed my kids. I didn't know where that money was going to come from. And uh, we had some assets that we had that were not liquid. We just couldn't, like we had made investments over in different places, but we just, it's not like you could just, yeah, you couldn't access them. They were tied up. And, And I tried my darndest to try to sell these assets and figure out where I could, you know, how to maneuver in order to, to save our home. We ended up, we lost our home. Our own personal home, we it got foreclosed on, and I was able to. It, the crazy story is, I was able to sell a single asset that gave me enough money to catch my house up, but I was three days late, and the bank would not accept the money. I said se- I sent them a check to catch everything up, and they sent it back to a cashier's check, like a legitimate check, cashier yeah. bank check. I sent it to them, and they sent it back. So what is the so if we talk a bit more personally for a second so that's the mechanics of it right so that's what you experienced you lost your home now and you've lost everything and you're a million dollars in debt so when you wake up in the morning and you talk to your wife Tamara and you go what do we do now what's the discussion like how you feel right now well at that moment it was it was a pretty rocky situation for our marriage fortunately we had a good foundation and we were able to borrow on that foundation emotionally, an emotional foundation, because financial problems are one of the leading causes of divorce. And had we not been on a good emotional foundation, the two of us, um, there's no way we would have made it through it because the emotional stress was so high and was so real and at the moment that I just can't even fathom we would have made it through. Um, so every day was, you know, I, I, it was, what are we going to do? And I was trying to negotiate. You have to understand because I, where I had just come from and it crashed so fast that I wasn't even thinking about job market. And I was thinking about what assets can I sell? How can I to move? Survive. Yeah. To survive, just to get cash in the door. Even if I sold it, I mean, we had one primary asset that was, that we had invested in and it cost us you know, 50,000, it was 52,500 is what it exactly was. We had bought, we had bought a ownership in, in a, it was a little oil uh, company and we had bought into it for 52,500. And I was trying to unload that because, you know, I'm not thinking about, I got to go work for, I don't, I got to go get a job. I was thinking about how do I really move all the shells around to try to, to try to, prop up our current situation um, until this short-term thing resolves itself, right? Well, it turned out to be a long-term, multiple thing. years long crisis in the financial markets caused by the real estate crash. So, but at the time, that's not what you're thinking. 
you're thinking that, okay, this is just a blip on the radar. We got to figure this out. I got to move things around. Right. So I wasn't thinking job market. It got to the point where, you know, we had, I was thinking I could just dump assets. I, I would sell it for 25 cents on the dollar if I could, in order to just get enough money to survive until we worked through this. Well, there was no working through it. And every day it just got bleaker and bleaker. And I remember my wife and I had a lot of discussions over what are we going to do? And to the point where we had lost our home, we had moved out of our home. And I remember we were living in a rental. We, we tried to find a place that was close enough to our existing school district so that we didn't have to pull our kids out. We didn't want to disrupt our children. I get that. <laughs> and so we ended up moving a place that was only about six miles away. So it was still close enough to where we could commute back and forth every day to drop our kids off and pick our kids up because the school bus system, the bus system wouldn't take our kids to where we had moved. It was out of the district. And... Um, I remember this was a big turning point for me is, you know, you spend all this time trying to teach your children to be good and faithful and kind and empathetic and courageous, you know, youth so they can become that as an adult. And um, I remember my oldest son, Porter, going in one night just to kiss him goodnight and just tell him that everything was going to be okay. And... Um, we knelt down and we said a prayer together and I remember I remember just he had a smile on his face and he just seemed to be unaffected by this process and we as parents tried to shield them as much as possible from the real heartache of it but they knew you don't just move they out of your house know. yeah they knew and even though we tried to shelter them from having the real serious conversations they, they knew. And so one-on-one, -on -one, we did have conversations with him. And I remember looking at him in the eyes, and he just had this peaceful look on his face. And uh, we had a conversation, and he said, it's going to be okay, Dad. And he, it was amazing that he was being the strong, the, the rock in my life, right? He was being the, the voice of reason. And so I would say to anybody that's listening to this, do not think that your children, because they haven't experienced what you have or they haven't you know, slayed the dragons or conquered the, the, the battles or, you know, gotten the degrees or had your experience, that does not mean that they aren't a source of great, a great source of, of teaching. Yeah. Um, especially on a, on a morality or an ethics or something. I mean, children are just very intuitive. And very it. simple as well. It's they just okay, see it Dad. black and white. So he said to you, it's going to be okay, Dad. He said it was going to be okay. We said a prayer. I kissed him goodnight. And as I walked out of his room, I noticed on the back of his door, he had a, he had a handwritten note that said to himself, you have the faith to get your house back. And that just crushed me. Because at that moment, there was no chance. I, I didn't have the money. I How was I going to lose a house to foreclosure and then turn around and buy that house right back? I mean, it was just an unreal task. And yet the faith of an 11-year-old saying to me, um, or not saying to me, but loudly saying to me yeah. through not saying it at all, reading a note that says, you have the faith to get your house back. And did, right at that point, did you think you had a chance to get your house back? None no, at all. no way in hell. And how did you feel about losing your house? As a so take away the family situation, you personally. Well, so. you have to understand, as a man, I'm the provider for my family. I I'm I'm the I'm the farmer. I'm the hunter. I'm the, I'm everything else, right? It's I it's my family reaps what I sow. And uh, so when I read that, I just 
I, it crushed me. It crushed me for, for two days. I was crushed because I felt like I was going to disappoint him. And not that it was about the house, but it was about his expression of faith in the circumstances that we were going to be taken care of we're as gonna a family. Okay. We're going to be okay. Because I know that when I when we lost our home and had to and lost the business, then lost the home, um, I had moments of um, feeling like a complete failure, like I was I was useless and I was no good and couldn't. Was never going to be successful because I because I allowed for a little while I allowed this whole experience just to bust me up inside, and I just wondered, did you feel those same type of emotions throughout the process? Yeah, there was no doubt. It was unreal the amount of pressure and the amount of almost suffocating. Um, it was like um, I, I'm thinking I'm thinking in a different language, uh, um, vergogna. Um, I can't even think of what it is in English. Um, shame. It was just an yeah. immense amount of shame in my own, like, how could I have let this happen? And that, that hovered over me for a couple of days. And then I started to look at it from a different perspective. I started to look at it like, well, maybe he's onto something. What does he have that I don't have? Why is it that he has that childlike faith in the process? Why can't I have that? And so I had drawn back on all of the all of the personal development that I had read over the years and immersed myself in these kinds of positive outlook and and positive aspirations. And, and I really, I went to my knees and I really became uh, dependent on my heavenly father, not on my own abilities, but the fact that there was somebody else out there that really did care about our personal circumstances. And I leveraged that note from my son. I still have the note today. I kept that note when we moved out of that house. So here's the short story. I was able to buy my house back. We, 10 weeks after we lost it to foreclosure, we were able to buy it back from the very same bank who said no and sent my bank check back. I was just trying to keep my house, right? But I was able to buy it back from them for $200,000 less than what I owed on it when I lost it to foreclosure. So, you know... My, my mortgage payment reduced by $1,200 <laughs> and I got my same house. I moved right back into my same house. And, uh, and, and, but at that point it was clear that the real estate markets, that, that wasn't going to be where I was going to make my money. So it pushed me into the job market. I, um, I ended up interviewing, uh, with one, just one interview. I took one interview and, uh, ended up, the job was in the East coast. I, I flew out there for the interview. And by the time I landed, I had a job offer. And, um, and we were able to regain our footing and, and regain, but, you know, even that, uh, you know, that, that business was a great run and it was a very good financial success for us as a part of that startup. But, you know, just so you know, the story doesn't end. I mean, we, that business ended up, I ended up separating from that business after a few years and, and we got to a point where. I was consulting and things were going well, but all of a sudden things changed again. And we went through a period where I applied for 38 jobs. I have a master's degree from Johns Hopkins. I am extremely well-educated from a formal perspective. And I had run my own company to, we had, I mean, <laughs> it was very successful, my own company. And then I went and started a company as a part of a job and we brought that company to a $200 million company. And all so all this track record, and I applied for 38 jobs, and I got turned down. I even got turned down for a warehouse manager. 
Like I was willing to take whatever I could. And so I think that was probably the lowest point in my entire life. Even though I had gone through all of the loss of the real estate and the crash in our own financial circumstances, the buying back of our house and the regaining of our financial footing. It was a couple years later that I found myself in a very similar situation, but it wasn't my first job I got accepted for and went out and had a great run. I applied at everything. I applied for any kind of a job you could think of. I mean, I was to the point where I was ready to go get a job at McDonald's because I knew they did. And no disrespect for anyone. Yes, of course. If you work at McDonald's, (laughs) God bless you. Yeah, no, but my point is, is that's kind of the lowest common denominator of people. They take... They take 15 and a half year olds that are just starting out. Yeah. I mean, you not know, someone who's been successful. Correct. In so I knew that if I had, if I had to go there, I'd even go there. And that was where I was contemplating. And, uh, so that's probably the lowest point I'd ever felt. And I had struggled and and the fact that I had gotten turned down to be a warehouse manager of a cardboard box manufacturer. When I got that, no, that, that was, that was like a punch in the gut. I, I can honestly tell you I had never been lower in my entire life than that moment. Um, and when you say low, what does that what does that look like? What was the feelings that you had? Desperation, a feeling of being completely and utterly alone. That my prayers weren't being answered. My wife had all but you know not given up on me, but was like <laughs> looking at me with one eyebrow up, going, "What the heck? What are you doing? Right? I mean, how are you going to feed us?" And uh, it was. I mean, I, I can honestly tell you my hands start to sweat when I think about it because that that moment of desperation, the other was kind of a trial or a test run. It was kind of a preparatory trial to get me to this point because yeah. that was really when uh, I think it all came to a head and I, I really had to, to rely on our marriage and rely on our experiences together. And it, one thing became crystal clear that it wasn't my fault. It wasn't my wife's fault. It was a circumstantial issue that it just brought us to a point where we could have said, I'm tapping out. You go your way, I'll go my way. We'll let the kids figure out what they want to do. It got to that point where it was either we were done or we were going to realize that everything we'd been through together was part of our story. We had written this story together. I didn't write it. She didn't write it. We wrote it together. And why would you want to throw that many years of a, of a story away, just write a better ending. <laughs> oh, man, I'll tell you, we became so strong. That was the strongest point in our marriage. It's, and it's only gotten stronger since then. But that was kind of where, even after 15 years, I think at that point, where was it? We were around 15 years of marriage when we had just hit rock bottom. But I'll tell you, that's it was almost like a binding effect, of, uh, you know, where we just got m- welded together, and the the two metals became stronger together than we were by ourselves. And, yeah. and I, I would never trade it. I would never trade it. As crazy as it sounds, I would never trade the genuine um, despair and heartache that we went through for what we have now. I would just never give it up because I know what we have now. Now you you. It's a fair roller coaster. So it's, there's a couple of big, a big uh, hills there, I guess, that you've gone through where you've gone up really high, and then crashed on pretty hard, and then you got back up again and crashed down again. Something that really stood out to me, and I actually wrote it in my book, um, was when I was talking to you one time. We were at the gym, and I was talking to you one time, and I said, 
I was talking about different opportunities, always the entrepreneur in, in your mind, I think, and, and you were looking at a new opportunity. And and I think I said something along the lines of, oh, maybe that, what, what if it doesn't work? And you said, I'm going to keep swinging for the fences no matter what. And I mean, and you've lived that, I think. You, every time there's a, you hit the bottom of that roller coaster, you have another crack. And I mean, a good example is moving to Australia. I mean, you moved across the other side of the world for an opportunity. Um, and I, I love that mentality of no matter the challenge, I'm going to keep swinging for the fences. Is that Does that still ring true now? Well, I think it's more true now than ever because we have hit rock bottom as a couple um, three times now. And fortunately, we're on the upswing again. <laughs> we don't look forward to the next crash. But I'll tell you, if it does happen, we're prepared for it. It's okay. Emotionally, it's okay. Like, it'll suck. And we'll be like, oh, really? Again? But now that we're approaching 50 and... Um, What's the difference though now? What's the difference to why... Or, or what do you think differently about those challenges than what you did when it first happened? Experience. The just we're experienced we're weathered we uh you know we've been through we've been through it and so we realize that there's light on the other side this isn't our first trip to the rodeo it's not like when you if you're if you're listening to this podcast and you're experiencing some dark days ahead of you you, you just know i can tell you with a surety that there's brighter days on the other side of those i mean it just welcome to mortality right welcome to life and uh you know, like I said, we're on our upswing again. So life is exciting. But I'll tell you, this last crash lasted shorter and wasn't as jarring, even though perspective-wise, it was really no different. We found ourselves in a situation where we had no assets again and we had no money and we had no job to make money. So if for all intents and purposes, it was the exact same trial we had gone through before. The only difference was is our approach to it mentally was, all right, what do we have to learn from this? A good friend of mine said when I first started my business, I said to him, when does it get easier? And I, he just looked at me and he goes, it doesn't get easier. You just get more resilient. Hmm. And I thought, gee, that's wise words. And, and I think we can all take a bit from that. Just what you said, I think that's exactly what it is. We become more resilient we become more hardened and we understand that there is brighter days ahead there's like because of the experience we have that's not going to generally it's not going to kill us um you know if it's a financial situation that's not going to kill us the sun's still going to rise the next day but sometimes we can be so consumed that we don't see that there is a brighter day ahead and so i think you're a testament to the fact that there is there's a brighter day ahead and we'll have those dark times but there's we have to look with hope to a brighter day. Well, hopefully, hopefully it's uh, the adage that bad things come in threes is true in my so world. Your yeah, so I, I feel like I'm done. I'm done <laughs> with this out. trial. <laughs> I'm done with this trial. It's time to uh, have time to trial. move on to the next mountain that <laughs> that uh, I have to climb. So, so I'm really grateful that you've taken the time to be really honest. You know, it's it's like you said, financial situations are an interesting one because. We do feel a lot of shame, as I know as a man, I did. And that's not to take away from a woman feeling the same way, but as a, as a bloke, that's a challenge as, as I feel like I'm a provider for my family. And when we lost everything, I felt that same sort of feeling of shame. And I, 
I think it's it's not healthy <laughs> to feel that way. Um, and it can be hard to talk about it. And so I'm really appreciative appreciative that you've taken the time to talk with me today and and share your story because it's it's confronting and it's it, you hope from the top of the tree to the to the bottom on the ground or even a little bit below <laughs> you feel sometimes so financially so i really appreciate you sharing that story well i'll just uh i'll wrap up and say thank you for asking me to uh share this i think anytime you can reflect you're you're better for it um anytime you can recognize you know where your challenges have come from and be able to think past them i think you're you're better prepared just for sharing your experience so thank you for that and i have to say that um in this last run that things were pretty bleak um you had you had just written your book and uh i gained a great deal of strength and insight from that so from a third person uh, recommendation i strongly encourage you if you have not read uh, do it anyway by mr baron grant i encourage you to do so i think there's great value there thank you i appreciate that and like i always say at the end of each podcast i uh I encourage you um, to subscribe, jump on, and have a listen to other people's stories. The most inspiring stories, I believe, don't come from um, you know the media or celebrities. They come from people that we know and love that that have dealt with challenging times. And sometimes there's so much power and strength gained from sharing those stories together. And so much more respect is generated for each other as we learn about each other's challenges that we've been through. So uh, jump online, subscribe to my podcast. Did it anyway. And, uh, and please, if there's somebody that you think's had an amazing experience in their life where they've gone through some challenging times and come out the other side, the stronger and the better for it, I'd love to hear about it. I'd love to talk with those people. So thanks again, Rob, and uh, I'll talk to you guys soon.